Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. Hello, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs, where I speak to bands to hear their stories about how they've survived. Today, I've got Chris Wallard, one of my favorite songwriters of all time, of Hot Water Music, who are about to release their new album, Feel the Void, which comes out this Friday on Equal Vision Records and End Hits Records in Europe. Serty Socks supports this episode. Based in Brighton, they've got a new range of seriously soft socks made from organic cotton and delivered to you in sustainable packaging. You can get 15% off your order from SayertySocks.com. I've got a couple of pairs. I've worn them to work. I've worn them running. I've worn them doing this around the house and can safely say they're extremely comfortable. You can get 15% off your order at SayertySocks.com using the voucher code 101POD and 10% of all their profits go to the amazing charity Gig Buddies which enables people with learning difficulties to fully enjoy their communities through attending gigs together. I absolutely love that idea and it's such a pleasure to talk about that on here. 
Cheers for listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs. I'm very pleased to welcome Chris Wallard of Hot Water Music. Go well. You are one of those bands that have been doing it a long time. And by the time I got into you, you know, that you, you were you were kind of like a legacy band at that point. And I'm talking like 2008 or nine, you know, so during the hiatus, it was like the draft was happening. And, and when I think of those kinds of bands or artists where it's like, yeah, you're going to be working when you get home. I think you're an influence for that. We were just doing the stuff that the guys that were older than us were doing. You know, I mean, we didn't like invent it, you know, yeah. who were they like? And, and sort of, is that Leatherface? Is that, well, we didn't know Leatherface until 99 when we toured with them. I mean, the first day of that tour was the first time we met any of them. Right. You know, we didn't know them at all, but we were already touring for, you know, four or five years before that, you know, and we did learn a lot from them, you know, we were always picking the bands that were older than us, picking their brains and just how the fuck do you do this? And I mean, I was doing that in high school. I don't know why I thought it was a good idea or acceptable at all, <laughs> but I was like 15. It's <laughs> kind of funny. Well, I was 15 when my family went to DC and I made my family take me to the Discord house, which was not easy to find. It's not where you think it is. And I met Amanda Mackay, and she gave me her number. And I would call her all the fucking time, man. Amanda, what's this? What's this? How's, how does this work? What is this? And I would get... <laughs> Like, this is true, man. I don't know how I got Popeye, the singer of Farside's number. I have no idea how I got his number. But I would call his house like once a month. Just just a random kid. And his mom would answer the phone or some shit. And I'd say, uh, hi there. Is Popeye home? <laughs> and she'd start laughing and put them on the phone and like they'd be like recording or something. And I'd be like, so how does that work? And he'd be like, Oh, you know, we're going into overdub the guitar leads. And I was like, what does that mean? You know, I remember that specifically just like totally random. Right. Uh, <laughs> the drummer of integrity. I had his number and his nick, what the fuck was his nickname? Oh, Chubby Fresh. So I'd call his house, and his family member would answer the phone and say, uh, Excuse me, uh, is Chubby Fresh home? Because <laughs> I, I didn't know these fuckers' real names, right? <laughs> I remember when Snapcase put out their first like cassette demo, who the, I can't remember who it was, but one of them had their phone number in there. And it was like, you know, for booking, call this number. So I'd call him up and just terrorize him, you know, just like, <laughs> hey, I'm Chris from Florida, you know, and I'm just going to punish you, you know, and you're going to have to, you're going to have to answer the phone one of these times. And that's actually how I got to know Frankie, because I got his number 
in like 98 and uh i called him like a dozen times or something leaving messages and just like just like hey this is chris from florida hey this is and he just wasn't answering and i'd call it like eight in the morning i'd call it like eight at night and i'd try all different times a day be like I'm going to figure out when the fucker's home, right? No way. And then I left him a message. You know, I said, uh, you know, after like a dozen times, I said, uh, hey, this is Chris from Florida. You know, look, man, I just want to talk to you about music. That's all, right? Now, if you want to talk to me, then this is so fucking weird, man. I was like, if you want to talk, change your answering machine answering machine message and leave a message for me about when I should call because I can't get a hold of you. And so then I called like a week later and it was a different message. So I waited till the end and it said, oh, and then if this is Chris from Florida, call it this time. And so I did. And then we talked for, you know, an hour or something. And by the end of that conversation, he didn't have a fucking clue who Hot Water was or who I was. No fucking clue. But by the end of that, he gave me Sean Stern's number that, you know, from Youth Brigade. So I had to do the same thing with Sean Stern, just randomly call this guy and then convince him. Because by the end of that talk, me and Frankie had already decided, okay, we're going to go on tour together. We're going to try to do a split record together. Um, I just had to call Sean and convince him, you know, mm. but that's kind of always how I always did it. You know, if any band was in town, <clears throat> like in Tampa, where we grew up, you know, the scene was small. It, it, it wasn't weird to talk to bands, you know, you just, you always were talking to the bands, you know, like, Where'd you come from? You know, like, where have you been? What What's that city like? You know, like that kind of shit. Do you have any contact? You just played in Atlanta. Can I get the number for Atlanta? I want to get a show there. Shit like that. Right. But yeah, Avail was a really big one for Hot Water. Because um, they were like a few years older than us. And uh, they'd been established uh, as far as like they had a network of people that they could tour and, and stuff. I started out roadieing for this grindcore band called Asuk. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but no. um, yeah, I was like 16, I think, when we did that tour. And I was just a roadie. Um, but I learned a lot from that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, did, did Book Your Own Fucking Life, did that exist? Yeah, when that came out, that was awesome there was that confidence, you know, I feel like there's a very fine line between just being really fucking excited and, and like being a punisher. It's having intuition, right. And, and just kind of having a bit of, you know, ingenuity about how you're trying to do the thing that you love. Yeah, that's true. And you have to be kind of naive, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but I never, I never had really a bad experience with that. But like I say, that was, the scene was pretty small back then, but I don't know. I mean, it just felt really normal because bands would come to town. You know, once we moved up to Gainesville and we were living on our own and stuff, you know, every band that came through needed a place to stay. 
you know, and whenever you went out, it was just kind of a normal thing. It, you know, it wasn't that weird. It, it wasn't necessarily punishing like I think about it now, you know. Mm. It mm. was everybody's broke, you know. <laughs> so, you know, you have a band stay at your house. Like, I'm, uh, what the hell is the name of that band? You know, one band from Alabama played with us. We had them at the house. And it was like, okay, uh, we're going to call you this summer. And we'll stay at your house and play with your band there. And right. you just you would just do that with everybody you met, you know. And so you ended up playing with a lot of different bands. That's that's you know part of how you know we weren't really like a hardcore band or a punk band or we were kind of touring with anybody because that was just our version of things, you know. Like that's just what you did. I had a kid when I was really young, so, you know, uh, he's almost 26. Hey, Chewy, where are you going? Come here. Is that your dog? Yeah. Yeah, he's just running around the yard. But, yeah, it was like, how do you how do you balance family and tour? How do you balance work and tour? That's kind of more personal, you know. Then it could be hey, we're thinking about doing this. Have you ever worked with this guy? Or that kind of stuff. Um, there could, you know, in the, or in the old days, it was like, how the, okay, we learned to do the East Coast. How do we do the West Coast? And then, it went, then when we got that, it was like, how do you go to Europe? There was no rule book. You had to call somebody that had already done it before. And then they're going to put you in touch with somebody. Um, but you're learning like infrastructure, um, you know, life balancing, you know, bad religion helped us out on that, this kind of stuff later. Um, at that point, it was like, do we need a manager? Is mm. that a good thing or a bad thing? What should we watch out for? Um, or when we started doing like contracts, right? It's like, what do I need to watch out for? You know, so you, you're asking people, you know, any of these things. It's like, hey, I, you had a falling out with your label. What happened there? Mm. How do I avoid that? Or we had issues getting the records to Europe. How do we do that? Um, how do we fix this? Um, mm. Just all kinds of stuff. Running a small business. Well, yeah, it's running a small business, but it's also running a small business that at that time, took us on the road about 200 days a year. So you're walking a tightrope, you know. Um, you could fall off at any point, you know. Very little reward. There was very little money, you know. You had to, like, we couldn't stop. Not because that was our choice. It was like touring for the first few years, that was you had to work all year to save money so that you could lose it on tour, right? right? There's no fucking way you're gonna make any money. And then we started building things up, you know, it was like, okay, if we go out for two weeks again, we're gonna lose money again. But if we go out for six weeks, we should be able to come home and pay the rent then, you know, and so okay, let's do that. And then it became, okay, if we all quit our jobs and go out for three months, 
then maybe we could do Europe as well, you know? Um, and then you find that like, okay, well, we found, it was like, we got to a certain point where we had enough places that we could go to now. You know, you're not playing New York every three months or something, right? But you could spread it out. And it was like, okay, we could go out for like six months, then take three months off and write, then go in the studio for a month, then wait for the album to come out, and then do another six or eight months. But if we don't do all of that, we can't afford to do this. One missing bit and it falls. Yeah, it was like we had to keep busy enough or we were going to have to take like full-time jobs. You know, it, it was like I can't get a full-time job that I can live off of and be gone. So it was like this: we have to make this our full-time uh, job. And, uh, and so that's, yeah, that's when you're getting into a lot, a lot of stuff. Do you remember the first time that happened? I mean, it, we probably started picking up steam on No Division, probably. Mm. Uh, Forever and Counting, that was the second one. Uh, that was the first time we went to Europe. And we started going a lot. <laughs> you know, we started going a lot. And it was like, let's let's do the same thing we did in the States, which is like actually try to make friends and real good contacts that we can rely on, you know, which was hard back, back in those days. Um, you know, no cell phones, no internet, yeah, no GPS. And back then most people didn't speak English, you know, they, and even if they did, they wouldn't, you know? So it was difficult. It was difficult. Like, but at the same time, there weren't a whole lot of bands going over there yet. So it was still like a big event. You could go into some small town in like East Germany and it'd be like, this is the only concert we're having for the next six months. So everybody's there. Everybody's smiling. You know, it's not just like a punk show. It's, it's like a, a rock show, you know, yeah. like a, yeah. it's different. So it was very easy to, to meet people. It was just kind of hard to bridge that language issue, you know. Mm-hmm. That was tough. On No Division, that was when we first went to Japan. The only time we've been to Japan. And then it started being like, okay, there's enough places in the world here to where we can really keep this going. And so after No Division was when we went to Epitaph, you know, and that was the first time that we had signed like a multi-album deal. We knew that we had a really solid label, obviously, behind us. Um, We knew that there was going to be money to record the way that we wanted to and to take the time that we felt we needed to. And so it's probably like right then. It was like, you know, you're grinding. You were grinding. But when we got to Epitaph, we had already laid enough groundwork on our own that once we had their resources of like all the people that they have, they have some very, very smart people there. And then also like distribution resources and, you know, all of the stuff that has to get done. Um, That's when it kind of really opened up for us and we didn't have to fight as hard, you know? 
was that a relief? Was there was there a, was there a weight that kind of came off your shoulders? I mean, well, you trade weight. You're trading weights. You're trading them. You know, one is you have no security, <clears throat> and you really feel like the ground could fall out from underneath you, like at any point. Um, and then you trade that for a little bit of security with working with. Um, I don't want to say more professional. I'm going to say more organized, organized, maybe. Yeah. There's all of those things to it, you know, of Epitaph had been doing it for a long time and doing it very, very well. And there was a lot of things that they had figured out. Like they didn't have to struggle. They already had these contacts of people that were backing them and mm. and helping and uh, helping the bands in just about every way you could figure out. You know, mm. they were the ones that, you know, got us to Australia and, you know, back and back and back and back. We probably never would have even thought of that because that would have seemed impossible. You know, the, the money it takes to get there is insane, right? But was but, that a sort of a fest? Was that one of those moving festivals where you could make enough and, you know, afford it? No, actually, this is a little different. This is actually true. The first time we went there was a total fluke. Okay. It was, we were on Warp Tour, and it was the same Warp Tour where we met the Epitaph people. So we had signed to Epitaph, but we weren't. We didn't have a, a, the new record out yet, right? Like we had just signed. And the last day of the Warp Tour for us, like when once it got to Florida, we were like, okay, now every day we stay on this, we're going to be farther away from home and we're going to have to drive all the way back. So it's like, once it gets to Florida, we're off. We're just going to stay here, right? And it happened to be my birthday. And uh, we had this huge, stupid party, um, you know, back in, like, where all the buses and all that shit is. And, uh, you know, we didn't have to play the next day. And, you know, what, there's like 500 people that you've been traveling with, you know. So it was a throwdown. I mean, we just got silly, man. It was a good party. But at that party... We met this band. It was their first day on Warp Tour. And they were from Australia. And so the first time they meet us is at my birthday party. So they were like, oh, this band is fun, right? It's not how it was the whole tour, you know, but that night we were just partying. And so, like, a couple days later, their booking agent from Australia calls somebody from our team and uh, says, hey, this band 28 Days wants to bring you to Australia. We're like, who the fuck is that? And they were like, oh, you remember those Australians you met at the party? And we're like, yeah. And they were like, well, they have a tour. They want you to, you to open. And we were like, when is it? And they were like, I think it was like two weeks later or something. Like it was like, or a month later. It was just like, I was like, well, fuck, sure. We've never even thought of that fuck we were like how do we afford it and they were like oh, they'll pay for it we're like they'll pay for it and so we find out like at you know we get there and 
shows are pretty fucking big. I guess their album was just released, but it, it was like, I think it was like number one in Australia that month or something. You know, it was just a blast. And those guys were just party animals. You know, then we're in Australia and it's like, you're talking to the promoter and the tour manager and you're like, hello, <laughs> would you maybe consider bringing us back? You know, and they're like, oh, you would want to? And they're like, fuck, yeah, this is awesome. Um, I mean, that's the best place to tour in the world. It is, it is awesome. New Zealand and Australia are just, like, the, the people are so cool. The food is awesome. Um, it's beautiful. It's cool. And it's so different. It's so different. It's really, really cool. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not ready hour foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Yes, it's stressed for sure. Like it stresses you out. But at the same time, it's like... In my mind, I look at that contract as all this really means is us over here and us over here, we're both going to try our fucking best to put this whole project together. No matter what your job is, like, I expect you to be kicking ass. And on my end, I will be doing every fucking thing I can to, to make the best album I can or, you know, whatever the fuck it is, you know, or the best tour or, or all of that. So like, it's stressful, but I think where the stress, where it more wears you down, I think is just the stress of living like that. Uh, like always on the road, or in a studio. Um, so this means you're you're eating in a restaurant three times a day. But, you know, not to be crass, you're not sure where you're going to take your next, next shit. You're not sure if you're taking a shower today or tomorrow. Mm. Right? Um, you're not sure where you're sleeping tonight. You know, when you get sick which almost every tour you go on, you're going to get sick because one of you is going to get sick. Mm. So all of you get sick, right? But you don't, you don't get to rest. So, you know, you don't get to take that day off. 
you know, like we've all played with the flu. We've all played with broken bones and torn knees and all kinds of shit. Right. And it's like the stress of that lifestyle really. And that's not the same as saying I'm stressed out about this, the writing of this record. It's like my body's stressed out. Do you think that some people are designed better than others to be travelers? Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. I don't think there's any general rule there. I've known people that were perfectly healthy, smart, social people, no reason whatsoever, but they just fucking hated it. You know, I've seen it happen so many times. You know, they grew up with their friends, they started a band, they go out and did some tours, and then one of the guys just says, I don't like this. I love being in the band, but if I have to live like this, I can't take it. Some people just fucking don't like it. (laughs) It's very understandable. But also, I've known people that have, like, chronic diseases, major health issues, and they still can't stop. They're just like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Right? So yeah. I don't know what it is. Um, but also people like different things about touring. I used to love touring. Now I like traveling. <laughs> you know, touring is pretty brutal. Pretty, pretty brutal. It's like having house guests for like three months straight. After a while, I mean, there's nothing about it that's stressful, but it is stressful. My mom says house guests are like fresh fish. After three days, they just stink. <laughs> <laughs> that's very good. With hindsight, going back the years, do you, do you think that like the four of you were pretty communicative with each other about all of this that we're talking about? Um, yes. But our skill level has grown. So I think we've always tried to communicate, and, and we always have found a way to do that. We know each other as well as people can know each other, right? So I think in the old days, you, you know, you'd, you might have a bad day, and, and, and you let it make you impatient or crabby. And I think hopefully if you're doing it right, you get better at that through your life where you're like, I need to cut you some slack, you know, like we have to listen to each other. I mean, the first time we broke up, that's why we broke up because we had a big heart to heart and we were all kind of miserable and we were like, I don't really want to do this if it's making us argue all the time. I'd rather just go home, quit the band, and then we'll all just like play pool together or something, you know, it's like, it's not worth it. Um, but yeah, you know, it's when you start a band and, and you know, you're 19, 20 years old and, and you're still in the band and you're in your late forties, <laughs> you know, you grow together and you, and you have to, you have to grow as a communicator and, and as a friend. Um, otherwise you're just co-workers 
painting houses. Has that been your main side hustle or your main hustle even? Has that kind of well, been... Well, that's my job. Rock, rock and roll and painting, yeah. How long have you been painting houses? Um, well, I've done a lot of painting in my life. But professionally, not long, four or five years, something like that. Is that because you, you joined a company? I did, but I'm not. Now I'm solo. When I stopped touring, that was when I was like, what? Well, now I really got to figure <laughs> You know, now I really got to. Um, before then, I would, I would just, you know, if we had a chunk of time off, then I would do work. Um, that would be any number of things. Um, most of my friends in town here are tradesmen, so I'd find side gigs and, you know, assist on jobs, do whatever the fuck. You know, there's been times when hot water hasn't done anything for long gaps. And then there's times where for six years straight, I'm not doing anything but rock and roll. You know, if you really look at my work history, <laughs> my legitimate work history, like at a company, there's very little of it. Right. So it was pretty hard to be like 40 years old. I mean, I'm 46 now, but. It was pretty hard being like 40 and finding anything new, right? Because like, like I said, I'm 40. So it got to the point of like, okay, well, a lot of this stuff I've done is young man's work, construction or um, whatever. And man, I'm telling you, I would hand in my resume and I already knew that it didn't matter what I wrote on that fucking thing. Because all this person's reading is, I've been drunk on the road for 20 years. <laughs> right? Because that's what it looks like. Right? And it's true, you know? Um, Could you see it in their faces? Oh, it was fucking awful, man. It was fucking awful. I couldn't get a fucking job that was worth it, you know? I mean... I hate to sound like an asshole, but like, you know, I have a house, you know, like I can't make like minimum wage, you know, I have to find something that's mm. going to mm. support, you know, I mean, even Guitar Center, I couldn't get a job. Really? Let me tell you something. If you go to the Gainesville Guitar Center, there's a hot water music record hanging next to the fucking door. <laughs> I was just like, dude, you know, I don't know everything about guitars, but like, I know enough about everything in this room where I can sell it, you know? I'm like, what the fuck, you know? And I didn't really want that job. I was just thinking about starting my own guitar store. And I was like, I want to get a little bit of hands on how is that business going to stay afloat, you know? But I was just like, what the fuck? You know? And so then I did get a job at a silkscreen company, right? Like making t-shirts, which I used to do that before hot water. And we used to make our own for years. Um, so I was like, ah, that's kind of fun. You know, fuck it. Why not? But it was really not. Like, I would have to have been doing overtime every week. And it was just like, God, this is, it just defeated me. 
so then I was like, before I started there, the weekend before, I was just like, fuck this. So I started calling, <laughs> I started calling all my old buddies, being like, hey, do you need anything on that house you're building, or you know, oh, you're yeah. building fences, you need any help, or oh, you're doing flooring, do you need or tiling, or you know, calling everybody, all the old guys, and uh, and then one of my buddies goes, no, but but Paul is. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And so I called Paul, and Paul was like, no, 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 I, I'm not looking. My brother, Marcus. And I was like, oh, okay. So I called Mark. <laughs> and I was like, yo, Mark, you looking for something? He's like, what, you looking for work? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, all right, I'll see you tomorrow morning. So, yeah, I went to work for my buddy Mark. He was older than me. Um, great family, though. All, all of them are great. Um, but he took me under his wing and he really like mentored me on um, how it's all run and, you know, doing your estimates and how, you know, how to watch your back and, you know, the more professional side of it. We were four people and we built it up to him and me plus nines. So we were 11 people. And uh, I was having a blast, man. I was having a blast. Had multiple sites across town all the time, multiple crews going, um, really having a lot of fun. And then, unfortunately, uh, he got cancer and uh, lymphoma. Uh, and a year later... Uh, yeah, he passed away. Then I, I kind of took a couple months off, and uh, and then people just started calling me, being like, "Hey, are you still painting?" And I was like, "Yeah, but I'm not with the company anymore." And and then word just started getting out, and so yeah, I'm just doing my own thing now, which is really cool. But it was really just kind of meditative. I really, I really dug the the fact that. Like, my job wasn't about going fast, you know? It's about, like, taking time and nice and mellow, listening to punk rock music, painting a house, you know? And every day when you left, it looked better than when you came, you know? So it was just yeah. really nice, comfortable job. And uh, so, yeah, as, as far as how hard it was finding a job, I feel very lucky for the one I have. I'm not really conditioned for nine to five. You know what I mean? If I wake up and I want to play guitar for a little while, I can do that. You know? Or if I'm at work and I'm like, oh, fuck, I just figured out that course. I can go outside and, like, write it down, you know? And, and it's, it's neat. It's neat. Chris, thanks so much for being up for coming on this. I don't want to ask, you know, many questions that you're going to be asked a lot doing the promo for Feel the Void. But are there any particular moments on the record, any any times, any stories from making it that that you're just really proud of that are, that are different from from anything you've experienced before? Well, I'll say the last couple records were kind of stressful. 
definitely for me, uh, especially that last EP, just because I wasn't touring with, I'm still not touring with them, um, mm-hmm. but I wasn't touring and we didn't really know how to talk about it. Right. And there was a lot of stuff building up to all of that. And like I said, communication is a thing that, you know, you have to practice to get better at, you know. Empathy is a thing that you have to practice to get better at, just like a guitar, right? The more you do it, the, the better you get at it. Before we started working on it, we knew that we were coming up to a point where we had to be like, are we going to work on another album? If so, are we going to do that soon? Are we going to do that later? You know, but every, they were all done. Everybody, we were out of space where it was like, what's next, right? And we had to have, we didn't have to, but, you know, you knew you had, like, I had things I needed to say. They had things they needed to say. I had questions. They had questions. We all had to figure out, you're getting older. Like, life changes. You, you can't just take for granted, can't just assume that you're, the person you started a band with in your early 20s is going to be the exact same person when they're 46. It might be, hey, I want to take some time off to hang out with my family, my kid, my mom. You know, I got to do some work. You know, I'm doing a different album right now. So how about the next year? You know, any kind of thing. But this was more personal, and we had to really get into it. We couldn't avoid anything. You know, everything had to be on the table. It was, you know a tough family discussion, but, uh, for everybody, but it's not the first one we've had. (laughs) I'm sure it won't be the last one we have. Um, but we came out of it being like, okay, now we're all on the same page. And it was like, okay, now I feel like I've been heard and everybody else feels like they've been heard. Right. And, and then it was like, okay, well, now I fucking can't wait to work. And so, you know, musically, every record's different because you're at a different point. You're interested in different things. Um, but this was one of the, this was one of the rare times when it was just like, yeah, this is kind of stressful, maybe, because I know it has to be like as good as we can do. But like, I'm not thinking about that. I had a fucking blast, man. Like right. I was just smiling the whole time. Every, you know, it can't, it's never always going to be like this, but the way I always hope it will be is that everybody is contributing on the same high level of, I'm not just listening to my stuff. I'm listening to what you're playing. And you know, what about this? Let's try this. How about if we do that? You know, and it's like, and everybody can say that to me, you know, like, yeah, sure. I like that thing you're doing. But what if I don't do the drums you want? What if I do this? Or what if you change that chord, you know, to this? And, you know, where we're all experimenting together. And um, if you're going to be in this room, then you should be fucking helping out. You know what I mean? They're like like everybody like we need everybody you know like brian yeah. mcturnan 
Ryan Williams, Chris Cresswell, you know, like everybody needs to know, like I'm, I didn't ask you to come here just to sit here and look pretty. Like we're all here to work, you know? So like get stuck in. Yeah. And it's not all about you. It's about the song, you know, you leave your ego at the door. Right. And come in here and have fun, like figuring out this song. And if you can't do that, then go fucking outside and have a beer and figure it out and then come back in, you know, <laughs> like, but it, yeah, it was just like no bullshit zone, you know, like, like, yeah, no, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And I, and I, that's what I feel off of it. You know, that's what I feel. There's some very dark subject matter. Um, but it was a lot of fun. It was an inspiring, like, project, you know, from, from the very beginning. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I think you, you can hear an energy when someone's having fun. I think you can hear that on record. Maybe it's a subconscious thing. or No, I don't think it is. I don't think it's subconscious, you know. Th there's also, like, you know, like in hardcore, right? There's mm -hmm. some there's some bands where it's like, damn, this band's fucking heavy, right? And then there's some bands where I'm like, dude, that singer sounds like he's actually really fucking pissed off right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And you're like, I believe it, you know? Like, <laughs> I don't, I, you know what I mean? And, and I don't think that that's... I don't think that that's in my head, you know? Um, you can tell when someone's smiling when they're talking to you over the telephone. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. Yeah. yeah. Chris, thank you so much. Cheers, mate. I like, you know, I've been vibing off this. This is awesome. <laughs> No, me too. Cheers, me too, man. So there was Chris Wallard of Hot Water Music. Their new album, Feel the Void, is coming out on Friday. Cheers for listening and see you next week with an episode of James from crows see you then i've been working all day for me mate on the side running around like a blue ass fly i've been working yeah i've been working all day for me mate every bleeding minute i've been on the go up and down the ladder like a fiddler's elbow i've been working yeah i've been working all day for me mate this is a mighty moon media podcast